Planar Prod presents The Attic Monologues, Episode 14, The Man of Many Turns. Um. Testing? Testing? Uh, yeah. So, hello, future Bella, I guess. The date is the 28th of November, 2021. <sighs> Nick says, Nick says that making voice notes helps them think better. Unscrambles their brain or something. They find it hard to remember things to sort their thoughts into boxes. And apparently this helps. My problem has always been too many boxes. I just divide it all into small, easily hidden chunks and push it down, down, down. Until you don't have to think or feel anything at all. I've never really been one for diaries. I don't like talking or thinking about me. It's too much. But I guess I'll try anything to get myself out of my head. I promised Nick's I'd try. We both promised to try and I haven't before. Not really. It's easier to let things slip, isn't it? When it takes so much to hold on. And when drowning feels more comfortable, familiar. So here I am, bearing my soul of something. Bella, I'm having a crisis. Uh, a crisis? <laughs> A terrible crisis. Is this an I have nothing to wear to the coffee shop crisis or an I missed another deadline by accident crisis? It's an I have no monologues to perform crisis. Uh, 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 you... <laughs> what do you mean? I mean I don't have any monologues to perform. The auditions for the term two plays are this afternoon and I don't have a single monologue I can even think of to use let alone one already memorised and ready to go that fits any of the shows. Um, what happened to the, the attic ones? I can't find them. I, I must have put them down somewhere, but I have no idea where because I've torn my room apart and the only ones I can find are the ones I haven't read. I mean, I did find the ghost one under my desk, but that's a bit much, I think, for an addition. Uh, don't you, like, know every single Shakespeare monologue off by heart? Not... 
every single one. But that's not the point. I can't use Shakespeare. I, this is supposed to be the year that I branch out and stretch my acting muscles. I'm supposed to be doing contemporary and experimental and literally anything other than Shakespeare. I mean, if you love Shakespeare, you should do Shakespeare. I do love Shakespeare, but I want to prove that I, I have the range. I'm doing a drama degree, not a Shakespeare degree. It's okay to have a special interest. I know that. <sighs> Maybe you're right. It's just thrown me off kilter. I was so ready, but... Maybe I can Shakespeare. Or maybe I'll just recall as much as I can of one of the others and bullshit from there. Can I do anything to help? Do you need an audience? Maybe just distract me? Distract you? For now. I think I need to stop thinking about it for an hour. <sighs> I'm not sure I have anything distraction-worthy at the moment. Please, literally anything. Like, what are you working on uh, right now? Uh, um, I was uh, about to do some more work on my essay, actually, for my narratives module. Interesting. Tell me more. Um, okay. So, it's um on the Odyssey, mainly, but I threw in some Iliad and Aeneid. For spice? <laughs> yeah, um, for spice. I'm focusing on storytelling within stories as a meta-narrative device and how hero culture organically creates the perfect vehicle for exposition. Sounds complicated. Very highbrow. Uh, but I'm still listening. Well, take the Odyssey, for example. Two-thirds of the whole poem is in direct speech because it's actually the characters narrating to each other. There's four whole books, that's chapters to you, of Odysseus telling the Phoenician court about his travels. And in, like, every royal court, there's a bard whose whole job is to tell the stories of heroes through song, which is exactly what the Odyssey itself is. So it's already very meta. Right. Following so far? So there's this concept in epic called Kleos. It's basically like long-lasting heroic glory. And the idea is that heroes didn't actually particularly care about winning or even surviving. The real goal was to get Kleos. You could die violently and young, but as long as you were remembered, as long as your story survived to be sung, it was good. Your legacy was secure. You were effectively immortal. These heroes are a bit stupid. <laughs> Maybe. In the Iliad, Achilles has the choice between living to old age and being the greatest ever Greek hero. You can guess which he chose. I thought he died because his boyfriend did. That too. Okay, um, another example. Odysseus. He gets trapped in a cave with a cyclops, which is entirely his own fault, but that's not important. What's important is that when the Cyclops asks who he is, he says, nobody. So when Odysseus wounds the Cyclops, his neighbours hear him screaming and call out, asking who hurt him. And he says, nobody. Nobody hurt me. So all those reinforcements leave. Happy ending. Nope. <laughs> because Odysseus still wants the chaos that comes with besting the mighty Cyclops, 
So as he's leaving, he yells out, by the way, it was me, Odysseus. Here's a detailed list of my loved ones and also my home address. See ya. Idiot. Totally. The Cyclops' dad is the god of the sea, so he prays to his dad to curse Odysseus. It's the whole reason his life sucks. His boat gets wrecked, his crew are eaten by cannibals or drowned. He gets home 10 years late to find, like, 108 guys trying to sleep with his wife and kill his son. All because he wanted to be famous. So what you're saying is, is that humanity hasn't changed one bit? What I'm saying is, he wouldn't be one of the two greatest Greek heroes without that choice. Because we wouldn't have the Odyssey. So, he's kind of right. Stories are immortality. Please don't pick a fight with the Cyclops. <laughs> I won't. They only live in the Mediterranean anyway. You're hilarious. <laughs> I thought so. Well, it sounds like you know this topic pretty well. When's this essay due? Tomorrow. Tomorrow? Okay, I'm going to leave you to it. No, uh, stay. Please. I could honestly use the distraction too. I'll get it done in time. Eventually. Okay. If you're sure. Tell me more about these ridiculous old dudes. I really don't understand how you never heard these stories as a kid. Just because you went to private school and got taught Latin when you were seven. Mum's a traditionalist. Yeah, no kidding. I didn't just learn the classics, though. Ambrose um, used to tell me stories all the time when I was younger. He's very good at it. He'd use mood lighting and everything. Oh, yeah? Like fairy tales? Red Riding Hood and stuff? And stuff. He made them up, I think. At least I've never heard them from anyone else. Bella, you're being cryptic. Tell me some stories! Um, uh, okay. Uh, what do you want to hear? I don't know. I only got told the boring ones at home. The ones invented for scaring you to sleep. The ones where all women are innocent children or victimised maidens or old crones and all men have saviour complexes. You know, there's this really interesting study done by this guy who says fairy tales are actually paramount to a child's psychological development at a young age. Sure. Still old school. Still boring. You're so hard to please. Hmm. Okay. Okay. My favourite story when I was younger that wasn't boring was definitely The Shattered City. Ooh, the shattered city. I'm already obsessed with the vibes. It's about London. Well, not really. It's about a city that moves. It hides inside other cities. It uses them as faces. Like it's alive? Maybe. There's a difference, I think, between being alive and being conscious. Neither are quite mutually exclusive. Is this a horror story? Depends on what you find horrifying. Bells, you are so reassuring. 
So, this city... Right. Once upon a time, this city used to move around and hide inside other cities. Anyone could find it, and all were welcome to go with it. Now, supposedly, Ambrose said, different people will tell the tales different ways. Some say the city simply forgot what it used to be, because it had worn so many different faces. Some say that one of the cities it wore didn't like it leaving all the time. It had fallen in love with the hidden city and wanted it to stay. So, it convinced a magician to keep it in place. Cities have sexualities now? Are you going to keep interrupting? No, I'm sorry. Please. So, the magician spelled the city to distraction until it forgot how to move, or at least why it had ever wanted to. Either way you tell the story, the city stopped moving. It forgot how to change. And as the city of London continued to grow... Of course it was London. The secret city didn't know how to grow with it. It tried to stretch to fit, and instead it broke, shattered into a thousand pieces. Yikes. Over time, the pieces shrank, or they got buried. They drifted further apart. But they're still there. You can find them if you look, or if you're just unlucky enough. In the cracks between pavements, in a twist of an alley, or a door that isn't always there. But beware. The city has forgotten where it ends and other things begin. If you stay for too long, you might never leave. The end. So it was a horror story? Maybe. I think it's kind of sad. And Ambrose really used to tell you that to help you fall asleep? As a kid? As if The Little Mermaid or Cinderella is any better? Hmm. Well, thank you for telling it to me. You're welcome. Does this city have a name? The, the um, shattered one, um, I mean. Uh, uh, not always. Sometimes. Um, sometimes it's called Trinovantum. That sounds so fantasy. Well, um, <laughs> Ambrose is really just a nerd. It's actually the name supposedly given to London before the Romans. It was made up by this guy called Geoffrey... Geoffrey? ...of Monmouth in the 12th century. Right. Doesn't sound so fantasy when he's just called Geoffrey. I am so sorry history isn't to your liking. <laughs> you know me, ever the critic. Right. It is a cool story, though. Not boring? Not boring. Maybe I'll have to go for a wander later. See if I can find any hidden alleys or vanishing doors. Please don't. Um, <laughs> you'd get lost in seconds. You have no faith in me, Bella. <sighs> but now, with that lovely interlude, I'm going to leave you to your essay. Cruel. I'm here for all your worldly needs. Cups of tea. Chocolate from Tesco. Never mind. You're a lifesaver. Yes, I am. Uh, what do you want for dinner? Pasta. 
thank you ever so much for narrowing down the options. I've narrowed it down enough. My brain is full of chaos narratives. There's no room for pasta sauces. Fine. I'll do all the hard work. Good luck. You've got this. Love you. <laughs> Love you too. Thank you so much for listening to the Attic Monologues. If you're enjoying our show, please consider supporting us through our Patreon or Ko-fi to help us compensate the hard work our team puts into every episode. You can find links in the show notes below. Alternately, you can leave us a review or tell a friend, an enemy, or your oblivious love interest to listen. This episode was written and produced by Morgan Greensmith. It was directed and script edited by LM Kuhesi. The sound design was by Anna Leclerc, and the theme tune was composed by Wilkie Morrison. In this episode, you heard the voices of Anne-Law Ryan as Bella Crow. Atlas Morgan as Nix Ryland. The logo was designed by Ailey Lang. The social media is run by Soren Browood. You can find us on Twitter at Attic Monologues and on Instagram, Tumblr, Facebook and TikTok at The Attic Monologues. For more information on our show, our crew, our policies or other shows made by our people, check out our website www.planarprod.com. Episode 15, Author's Notes 1, will be out on Wednesday 29th of June. See you then! to hide. It's safer that way. The city is low. Being a grander city makes all the others jealous, you see. They get all up in arms about how different the city is, how alluring it is, and they'd send out their little ant armies to burn this city down. It's happened so many times. You wouldn't have heard of most of them. But every time a city burns through history, just maybe, you might see a sign that the city has been touched under its edges. For a long time, this worked. The city slipped across the world, folding itself seamlessly into others, never staying long. But there's anything hidden can tell you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Attic Monologues. If you've been enjoying our work, good news, we're really excited to tell you about The Hidden Bookcase, a new show from Planar Prod, hosted by yours truly, Morgan Greensmith, and Soren Briarwood. The Hidden Bookcase is a book club-style podcast with a focus on queer fiction, especially science fiction and fantasy. Every two weeks, one of us recommends a book to the other, and then after we've read the book, we return to discuss our thoughts with our listeners. Our very first episode will be out at 5pm on Monday the 6th of June, We'll be chatting about Anna-Marie McLemore's young adult fantasy novel, Dark and Deepest Red, a retelling of Hans Christian Andersen's The Red Shoes, set against the backdrop of the Dancing Plague of 1581. We cannot wait to welcome you through the bookcase. We've already had such a wonderful experience making this show, and if you're a fan of secret libraries, cosy bookshop cats, or long chats about your favourite tropes over a cup of tea, we think you'll have a wonderful experience listening to it too. In the meantime, you can find The Hidden Bookcase on Twitter at Hidden Bookcase and on Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr and TikTok at Hidden Bookcase Podcast. Or find out more about the show at planarprod.com. Thanks so much and we hope you'll join us through The Bookcase on Monday the 6th of June.